Okay, we'll start with the Nokar Mantra. Om Namo Arihantanam Om Namo Sitanam Om Namo Ayadiyanam Om Namo Ajayanam Namo Lue Savasahunam Eso Panchanamukaro Sava Pava Panasano Mangalalancha Savaisim Paramam Have Mangalam Paramam Have Mangalam All right, so last time we started with the Tatvarta Sutra and we went over the first three chapters, which were right faith, living beings, and the lower world and the middle world. Uh, people seem to like it, so I thought we'd go over the next couple of chapters, and that starts on page 51. The next chapter is chapter 4. Uh, it's celestial beings. So if we start on page 51, we can see that, number one, there are four types of celestial beings. They have a coloration of thought up to yellow. Remember we discussed that uh, your coloration of thought determines what comes to mind when you think of the actions you can do. They are different classes of heavenly beings, uh, 10 grades of heavenly beings, and there are two types of, um, two different classes of heavenly beings in, on page 52. The peripatetic and the stellar heavenly beings. Peripatetic means walking, so they walk on foot. The stellar heavenly beings are without the ministers and police. So we don't really think of it this way, but in the heavenly world, remember, which is not moksha, the heavenly beings have a society, right? They're born and raised and die just like us. And so in their society, they have a lord, his equal, a minister, courtiers, bodyguards, police, army, citizens, servants, and menials. So it's kind of confusing to think about menial beings living in heaven, but that's what it is because it's a society, right? And so moving on to page 53, um, there are two lords in the first order. And up to a certain level of heavenly beings, they enjoy copulation or sex. Uh, after a certain level, they derive pleasure just by touch, sight, sound, and thought. So that's great um, because the rest are without sexual desire. So that's great because in some, in a very real sense, we're controlled by our sexual desire, right? Moving on to page uh, 54. There are the names of the residential heavenly beings, uh, the types of walking heavenly beings on page 55. The stellar heavenly beings are the sun, the moon, the planets, the constellations, and the scattered stars. And in the human region, they are characterized by motion around Mount Meru, which, remember, is the center of the world. We learned that in the chapter 3 about Jane Geography. So the division uh, outside um, the heavenly world, the heavenly beings are stationary. And page 57, they're born, one of uh, the 
geography of the heavenly world is one above the other, which we learned last time too. Page 58, these are the names of the different levels of heaven. Okay, so as we move up in levels, there is an increase with regard to the lifetime, power, happiness, brilliance, purity and thought coloration, capacity of the senses, and range of clairvoyance of the heavenly beings. But there's a de decrease with regard to motion, stature, attachment, and pride. So believe it or not, even heavenly beings have attachment and pride. Remember, they're not in moksha. But as you get higher and higher, there's less of those things. Uh, so in levels two and three, the thought complexions are yellow, pink, and white, which are the highest. Let's see, page, fifth, page 60, more groupings of heavenly beings. And then in Vijaya and the others, the heavenly beings are of two final births. So they only have one or two more lives to go before they enter Moksha. So page 61, it's a reminder, the beings other than heavenly beings are infernal beings, human beings, and animals. Uh, here, again, we're talking about the lifetime in the different levels of heaven. There are different lifetimes of heavenly beings, maximum and minimums. And again, we're talking about Sargopamas, which we talked about last time. Again, we're talking about more lifetimes, the lifetimes of heavenly beings on page 62. There's minimum and maximums on page 63. Same thing with the infernal regions. 10,000 years and the residential beings uh, regions of heaven also have different lifetimes and the walking beings also have different lifetimes and the maximum lifetime is one polyopam on page 64. The minimum lifetime on page 65 is an eighth of a polyopam. Okay, great. That's chapter four, heavenly beings. Any questions or comments on that? Okay, no questions or comments on chapter four. Let's move on to chapter five, the category of the non-living. We're on page 66 of the Tattvartha Sutra, which I just uh, mailed out via WhatsApp to the class. So we're on page 66, that's chapter four for anybody just joining us. I see we have some people just joining us. Okay, the category of non-living beings. So the non-soul substances, remember every, um, every non Every non-soul substance is non-living. So here we're going to talk about all the categories that are not the soul. They're the medium of motion, the medium of rest, space, and matter. There are four of them. And we also, it's a reminder that the soul is also a substance on page 66. The substances are eternal, fixed in number, and colorless. 
And things which have form constitute matter. So matter are the things which have form. So the other substances do not have form. The substances up to space are indivisible wholes. So the ones up to space are the medium of motion and the medium of rest. So those are not um, divided up. Remember the shape of the universe, everything inside is the medium of mo- has the medium of motion and everything outside is the medium of rest. Oh sorry, everything there's the medium of rest inside, there's no medium of motion outside. The medium of rest allows things co- to come to rest. Sorry to disturb you. Can you share your screen so we will be on the same page? Sure. Let's see if I can do that. Yeah, because we're toggling, the, uh, we're switching the uh, screen, then we're not able to see. Okay, sure. Let me share the PDF. Okay, how does that look? Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Okay, great. I'm happy that worked. Okay, so page 68. There are innumerable points of space in the medium of motion, rest, and in each individual soul. The units of space are infinite. Page 69. The forms of matter are numerable and innumerable also. Uh, We know that. We know that there are different concepts of infinity in math. That is, certain infinities and innumerable objects can be larger than others. There are no space points for the atom, an indivisible unit of matter. Um, So let's just talk about indivisible units of matter because we now know that atoms are divisible. So the substances are located in the space of the universe, not outside. Page 70. The medium of motion and rest pervade the entire universe space. That's right. That was my correction before. Everything on the inside has the medium of motion and rest. There's no medium of motion and rest on the outside of the universe. The forms of matter occupy from, inhabit from one unit of space onward. That is, space is not a continuum. Space is our fixed locations. The souls inhabit from one innumerable parts of the universe space. The souls inhabit from one innumerable parts of the universe space. Right, so uh, the soul takes up space within space, which is important to know because a lot of people have a concept of a soul being ethereal or um, being a kind of a ghost. But the soul is not a ghost. It takes up space. Uh, But that doesn't mean it can't contract and expand, as we learn on page 71. It is possible by the contraction and expansion of space points of a soul, as in the case of a light of a lamp. That's how the same soul fits into different bodies, right? So in the body of an insect, there is the exact same soul as you, a different soul, but it has the the characteristics of all souls, even though the body is extremely small. The functions of the medium of motion and rest are to assist motion and rest. The function of space is to provide accommodations for things in which to exist, page 71. Page 72, the function of matter is to form the basis of the body and the organs of speech, mind, and respiration. That is the purpose of matter, is to form bodies. 
The function of matter is also to contribute to the pleasuring, suffering, life, and death of living beings. That's karmic matter, of course. Remember, karma is matter. Karma is real and karma exists and you can measure it. Here we go. This is in black and white at the bottom of page 72. The function of souls is to help one another. That's why you are here, is to help other souls is to alleviate the suffering of other souls. There it is in black and white on the bottom of page 72. I think it's very important. Um, the reason you're here is to help other souls. Page 73. Assisting substances in their continuity of being through gradual changes in their modifications, movements, and priority and non-priority in time are the functions of time. So why does time exist? It's right here in black and white. Time exists so you can change. If you were never able to change, you would never be able to go to moksha. So the reason that time exists is so that things can change so you can burn all the karma from your soul. So be happy that time exists. The forms of matter uh, are characterized by touch, taste, smell, and color. So if it's matter, it has those four things. Uh, you may be wondering, well, touch, taste, smell, and color. Well, what about sound? For some reason, it's on the next one, the top of page 74. Sound, union, fineness, grossness, shape, division, darkness, image, warm, and light are also forms of matter. So I'm not sure why they're, why sound is grouped with the other ones, but that's how it is. Atoms and molecules are the two main divisions of matter. Molecules are formed by fission and fusion. Atoms, molecules and atoms go together and come apart by fission and fusion. Molecules are, are produced by the combined actions of division and unions and can be perceived by the eyes. Existence is the differentia of substance. That is, we would not exist if we didn't have different substances. Existence is characterized by origination, disappearance, destruction, and permanence. We're, I know we're going through these kind of fast, but you're, remember, you're supposed to take your time with each one of these, and each one of these is very thought-provoking. But this introductory lesson um, that we're going through kind of fast is just so you know what's here. And so you're not afraid to open, open the book and look at it and understand what the, what the things mean. Because, of course, you already know what they all mean. The combination of atoms takes place by virtue of sticky and rough properties associated with them. Of course, now we know about electrical bonds of ad between atoms, electrical and chemical bonds. There's no combination between the lowest degrees of the two properties. And there's no combination between equal degrees of the same property. So certain things can and can't combine. There is combination between degrees different by two units. So as uh, things are expressed in matter, when they have different characteristics, those are combinations of two lower order characteristics. So page 78, that which has qualities and modes is a substance. So all substances have qualities and modes. 
And uh, here's another reminder that time is also a substance. Here we go, top of page 79. Time consists of infinite instants. So science has recently backed this up. That is, time is not gradations or anything like that. There is a indivisible unit of time. And so Acharya Umaswamy has told us that well before time science, science scientific knowledge has verified this. That is, there are indivisible units of time. Um, and so bottom of page 79. Okay, so in order to understand this, you have to understand that um, matter consists of different layers of qualities and modes, and then they're expressed at the very top layer, which is why the forms of matter seem so infinite. The change of a substance is a mode. Oh, there you go. Bottom of page 79. That's it for this chapter. Chapter 5, Non-Living Substances. Any questions or comments on non-living substances? Okay, let's move on to chapter 6, Influx of Karma, which we know as Ashraf. The action of the body, the organ of speech, and the mind is called yog. That is, remember, speech, thoughts, actions, and words uh, determine your karma. It is this threefold activity is called ashrav that determines how much karma you get. Virtuous activity is the cause of punya and wicked activity is the cause of pop. Page 81, two kinds of ashrav, that is person with passions and persons free from passions, which prevent or shorten ashrav. So that's why we want to get rid of all of our anger, ego, deceit, and greed because we want to prevent ashrav. Oh, okay, so remember, ashrav is the influx of karma uh, that binds to the soul, right? So it is the water that is coming into the boat. And the very first thing we have to do in order to save ourselves is stop the water from coming into the boat. Influx is differentiated on the basis of intensity or feebleness of thought activity. That is, how much the anger is controlling your mind determines how much karma you get and the nature or the potency of the action. That is how intense the, the action is. The living and the non-living constitute the substrate. The substrate is, of the living is 108 kinds. And here's what leads to ashrav. Production, placing, combining, and the urging of the substratum of the non-living. So that's, sorry, that's more definitions of ashrav. Here we go. Okay, so these are the lists. Spite against knowledge, concealment of knowledge, non-imparting of knowledge out of envy, disregard of knowledge, disparagement, 
disparagement of true knowledge, all lead to the influx of karma, which obscure knowledge and perception. So we're talking about nanavarnia karma, right? So these are the things, these are how you prevent nana, bad nanavarnia karma from coming in, which is ashra. Next, at the top of page 85, suffering, sorrow, agony, moaning, injury, lamentation in oneself or others lead to the influx of karma, which cause unpleasant feelings. What about the karma that causes pleasant feeling, compassion towards living being, and the devout in particular, charity, asceticism with attachment, restraint, contemplation, equanimity, freedom from greed? These are the things that lead to punya. Okay, so what are the things that lead to the influx of faith-deluding karma? Attributing faults to the omniscient, the scriptures, the congregation of ascetics, the true religion, and celestial beings. So if you, if you call the truth a lie, that will lead to the influx of faith-deluding karma. Conduct-deluding karma. Intense feelings induced by the rise of passions. Those are the things that cause conduct-deluding karma. How do you go to hell? By excessively inflicting pain on, on souls, attachment, all lead to a hell the next life being a hellish being. Page 87. If you are deceitful, you will cause an influx of life karma leading to your, life, your next life being an animal or vegetable. If you want to be a human, then minimize your injury and attachment. And be a mild person. Bottom of page 87. Birth among all four kinds of living beings are non-observance of supplementary vows, the non-supplementary vows. If you don't observe any of the vows, the five vows, you are capable of being born among all four types of beings. Okay, so how do I get to a celestial birth in the next life? Restraint with attachment, that is, don't be attached. Involuntary disassociation of karma, that is, live your life such that you don't attract karma. Austerities accompanied by perverted faith. That can't be right. Austerities accompanied by perverted faith cause the influx of life karma to celestial birth. I guess so. This is saying that if for some reason you do the right thing for the wrong reason, that can also be good. Right belief is also the cause of influx of life karma leading to celestial birth. All right. So right next to it, it says, no, actually do the right thing right on the next page. Hey, Tamir. Yes. A question. Um, the celestial birth, the one that we just kind of, on the page before the last item. So, you know, yeah, right there. So basically, uh, we have sadhu jivan and uh, sadhu sadhvis, and basically, by taking those ruts, 
it helps you to do these things. So once again, this kind of helps me to to understand how having a sadhu jivan or taking diksha can help to get a celestial birth in in the next life. Exactly. That's exactly right. right. Okay. Thanks. Okay, so how will you become a person with a bad body in the next life if you do crooked activities and deception? So remember, this, these are the answers to the questions that a lot of people have, taking a step back and looking at the big picture. That is, people have a very real question about, well, what kind of action leads to what kind of karma and what does that mean for me later? Well, here are all the answers in black and white. So the opposites of these cause the influx of auspicious physique-making karmas, that is, straightforward activity, honesty, or candor. Okay, so how do you get to be a Tirthankar? There is a special kind of karma called Tirthankar Nam Karma. It's a special uh, Nam Karma. Here is how you get to be a Tirthankar. Purity of right faith, reverence, observance of vows and supplementary vows without transgressions, ceaseless pursuit of knowledge, perpetual fear of the cycle of existence, charity, practicing the austerities as best you can, removal of obstacles that threaten the equanimity of ascetics, that is, serving holy people, serving the meritorious by warding off evil or suffering, devotion to omniscient lords, Devotion to the scriptures, practice of the six essential daily duties, propagations of the teachings of the omniscient, and fervent affection for one's brethren following the same path. So if you want to be a Tirthankar, these are the things you have to do. Here it is in black and white at the top of page 91. The opposite, if you want to be born with a low status, here's what to do. Censure others and praise yourself. Conceal the good qualities in others and proclaim noble qualities about yourself that are not true. And you will lead to a low status in your next life. If you want high status, do the opposite of what I just said. Practice humility and modesty and you'll get high status in your next life. The cause of the influx of obstructive karma is obstructing others. Okay, great. So that was Ashraf. So let me stop sharing that and we can go to any comments or questions about Ashraf. That was chapter 6, Ashraf. Okay, no comments or questions. Okay, I can go back to sharing. And we can look at the next chapter. Okay, the five vows. Anybody remember what the five vows are? Here it is on page 93. 
Desisting from injury, falsehood, stealing, unchastity, and attachment. So remember, non-violence, non-lying, non-stealing, non-attachment, and celibacy. Those are the five vows. There are two types, small and great. Remember, householders and regular people follow the small vows, and holy people follow the great vows. That is, they're the same vows. They are just practiced uh, in greater, with greater care and greater detail. There are five ways to strengthen each vow. So five ways to strengthen five of the vows. That's 25 ways you can improve your life. Control of speech, control of thought, regulation of movement, taking care and placing things or objects, and examining food or drink before you eat or drink them. Giving up anger, greed, cowardice, and jest, and speaking harmless words. Okay, so the first one was nonviolence. This one is non-lying. These will help you with uh, non-lying. Residence in a solitary place, residence in a deserted habitation, causing no hindrance to others, accepting clean food. All right, so we should be back. The consequences of violence are calamity and reproach in this world and in the next, bottom of page 97, or sufferings resulting from injury. Remember, we're talking about the five vows. Page 98. Benevolence toward all living beings, joy at the sight of the virtuous, compassion and sympathy for the afflicted, and tolerance towards the insolent and ill-behaved. We are talking about things that you should do. That Those are the five things that you can do to help your attachment. And here's like a bonus one, bottom of page 98. Or the nature of mundane existence in the body may be contemplated in order to cultivate awe at the misery of worldly existence and detachment to worldly things. So that is actually the best way to avoid attachment is to realize the truth that is everything except your soul is temporary. The severance of vitalities out of passion is injury. That is, don't kill things. Speaking what is not commendable is falsehood. So now, here, here it is in black and white. It's not just lying that is a sin. It is speaking what is not commendable. Now that is very different from not lying. Uh, that is actually so far different that it's much more encompassing than not lying. And same here, same thing here with stealing. Stealing is not just taking something that belongs to somebody else. Rather, stealing is taking anything that is not given is stealing. Now, that is much wider definition of stealing than perhaps you are used to. Copulation is unchastity, period. Infatuation is attachment to possessions. The votary is free from stings. I have no idea what that means. If somebody wants to chime in with their... Chime in what they think it means, please feel free. Bottom of page 100. The householder and the homeless ascetic are the two kinds of votaries. Oh, I see. So obviously, right when I need an explanation... Acharya Umaswami is there for me with an explanation. 
One who observes the small vows is a householder. We talked about that. Top of page 102. The minor supplementary vows. Abstaining from activity with regard to directions, country, purposeless sin, periodical concentration, fasting at regular intervals, limiting the consumable and non-consumable things, and partaking of one's food after feeding an ascetic are the minor supplementary vows. The householder courts voluntary death at the end of his life. That is, when you're at the end, there is no reason to resist death when it comes for you. Because it is just a transition to another life. What are the trans- five transgressions of the right believer? That is, doubt in the teachings of the jina, desire for worldly enjoyment, repugnance or disgust at the afflicted, admiration for the knowledge and conduct of the wrong believer, and praise of the wrong believer. These are things you don't want to do. More things you don't want to do. Bottom of page 103. Binding, beating, mutilating limbs, overloading, and withholding food and drink. Perverted teaching, divulging what is done in secret, forgery, misappropriation, and proclaiming other thoughts. That, of course, is... Okay, so here we're going into much more description. This beating stuff is, of course, nonviolence. What I just talked about, about forgery, misappropriation, that, of course, is um, non-lying. So next, moving to non-stealing. Prompting others to steal, receiving stolen goods, underbuying in a disordered state, using false weights and measures, and deceiving others with imitation goods. That is non-stealing. Bringing about marriage, intercourse with an unchaste married woman, cohabitation with the harlot, perverted sexual practices, and excessive sexual passions. Those are the different ways to transgress the sexual vow. And the attachment vow, exceeding the limits set by oneself with regard to cultivatable lands, riches, cattle, corn, servants, and clothes. Exceeding the limits set in the directions of movement, enlarging the boundaries of acceptable directions, or transgression of the vow of direction, that's a sub-vow. Sending for someone, something outside the country of one's resolve, commanding someone there to do thus, Indicating one's intentions by sounds and showing oneself and throwing a clod. Vulgar jokes, no vulgar jokes. No unthinkingly indulging in too much action. No keeping too many consumable and non-consumable objects are the five transgressions of the minor vow of desisting from unnecessary sin. Misdirected threefold activity, remember Man Vachankaya are the threefold activity. Lack of earnestness, fluctuation of thought are the five transgressions of the vow of concentration. Don't excreting, handling sandalwood paste, flowers, spreading mats and garments without inspecting. Lack of earnestness, lack of concentration. Don't do those things. The food you eat, um, make sure it contains 
Make sure it is not containing one-sensed organisms, placed near organisms, mixed with organisms, or ill-cooked. Don't place the food you eat on other organisms, such as green leaves. Don't cover it with things, such as food of another host. Don't desire life. Don't desire death. Don't recall affection for your friends. Don't recall the pleasures that you once had. And don't constantly long for enjoyment. Remember we discussed that is the hedonic treadmill. Okay, charity. What is charity? Charity is the giving of one's wealth to another for mutual benefit. That is, remember it will benefit you as well as benefit the person that, it, that you give it to. The distinction with regard to the effect of a gift consists in the manner, the thing given, the nature of the giver, and the nature of the recipient. These all are important things to consider when you do charity. Okay, so let's stop sharing the screen for a moment. And comments or questions on that? I believe that was the end of the chapter. Yes. So how, how is the giving mutual beneficial? Charity is mutually beneficial because you receive good karma for being charitable. And there are a lot of those things that were discussed that may be discussed but is not practical. Right. What do you mean not practical? I don't know. I mean, it talks about, you know, uh, living with, you know, living outside of the habitation. Right. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it talks about, let me just go back to it real quick. Um, it talks about a lot of different things, like even the food, like not commingling food, you know? Right. Uh, and things like that. Uh, I don't think we do all of those things like that, maybe, you know? Right. And so we should. And that it's actually more practical to be doing things because remember, we have to shift our attention to realize that we are a soul and we should rearrange our life because of the fact that we are a soul and we're trying to make our soul better. That is, so when you say non-practical, doing things, these things are practical. In your current mindset, in the current way you view the world, these seem like obstacles that you have to do. Like, why do I have to do this? Or why do I have to do this? Because Jainism tells me so. But once you change your paradigm, once you change your view of the world and realize you are a soul and doing these things is beneficial to your soul, then you'll realize that no, not only is it practical, it will help you. Okay. Anybody else? Questions or comments about anything we went through? So it looks like we're moving at, we did four chapters. I don't want to do too many. I want to leave you with time to discuss um, because there's a lot to go through in this book. Was this helpful to anybody did anybody not really care to go through these things because when we especially you know we have our regular book our jainism book 
Well, where does that come from? That comes from books like these, right? So we're getting, as we get deeper and deeper, we're getting more and more toward the source. And unfortunately, it may be that we can't get to the real source because it's in a different language, but um, these are these are very good materials for you. But is anybody happy or unhappy with Acharya Umaswamy here? No, this was really good, Timmy. Uh, this is Hiran. Uh, the question I have is there was one bullet point saying desire for, I guess, uh, don't live or don't die or desire for the life and the death. Right. I did not understand that part. Okay. Let's go back. And look at the context of what it was in. Okay. So the, the full quote is, desire for life, desire for death, recollection of affection for friends, recollection of pleasures, and constant longing for enjoyment. So I think that last one, let's take it out and discuss it because it's easy. That's what we call the hedonic treadmill, the constant longing for enjoyment. You and I both know that as we acquire things or acquire experiences, we want more. And we constantly want more. And that ruins our life. Okay? So I think everybody knows that. But why is why are these other things bad? Well, the recollection of affection for friends. The recollection of pleasures. Well, that takes you out of the present moment. That leads you to long for a time when you had those things. And that leads you to do sin because you want those things again right? Because you want that affection for your friend. You want that pleasure that you previously had. So that leads for you to stray off the path of Jainism and stray on to the hedonic treadmill, right? So, okay, so those two things, I think it's clear that, okay, the last thing is the hedonic treadmill. Those two things lead to the hedonic treadmill. Now to your real question, these first two. Desire for life and desire for death. Well, if you think about it, they are just another extension of this recollection of affection and recollection of pleasures. And remember, that's just another extension that leads to the hedonic treadmill, the constant longing for enjoyment. That is, your desire for life or your desire for death is the first step on the hedonic treadmill. And that's what's kind of confusing, right? Like, how is it the first, like, I want to live. How is that so bad? I want to live. Well, it leads you to not being living in the present moment. And it leads you to reorganizing your life to, um, to break all these vows, right? That is, it's wrong to des intensely desire for life because you are desiring of those pleasurable experiences. Does that help? Uh, somewhat. My other thought on that, having not an affection for the friend, is like just the current situation we are in right now. Uh -huh. If a friend of mine calls me, hey, do you have a toilet paper? Uh, I would say, oh, yeah, you know, I, and if I have more, I will definitely help him out. Mm -hmm. Even if I have enough or same thing, uh, I should help him out, right? So is that, should I do that or should I not do that? You absolutely should that should do that because that is not recollection of affection for friends. 
recollection for a fraction of friends just means you recall that, you live in that moment, and you want to experience it again, and you do things in your life to arrange your life to experiencing that again. You should absolutely give to your friends in need. That is practicing charity. That is practicing non-attachment. That is absolutely a good thing. Um, Tamir, one of the things resonated with me, and that's kind of going back to our Jainism book, or, or this, um, that it talks about food. Right. And sometimes we as Jainism, uh, Jains get, uh, you know, food as, uh, as an impression. I think all the books I've said so far, obviously these are printed in, in, in the days, and now we're, we're hearing the food can take us to a point we are at today so potentially and how important it is to watch it so w once again I, I i i'm getting more and more convinced about uh being careful about what we eat and uh being more more selective in our, in our food right right and this is uh further evidence that most people think that Jainism is the religion of food. And yeah, we talk about food a lot because that's one of the things that hermits and monks and householders have in common. Um, so any questions about this new format of dad's class? Do people like this? Do people not like this? I know I had a hiccup at the beginning until I restarted and then I saw everybody. Uh, any questions about this format? Oh, this is great. I guess this is the world we are going into, so <laughs> we better get used to it. Right. Uh, I think it's, I agree with uh, what Hirain uh, said, and I, I, it's a great start. I, I, was, uh, I was just talking to Karika earlier. I think this model can be adopted by different uh, Jainism class or, or or forums, so it's it's a great great start, and I, I think it's working well. I mean, I think we we s resolved. I mean, whatever issue we had in less than five minutes, and uh, that was it was almost uh, flawless to me, uh, knowing that we are doing this for the first time. Okay, I will stop the recording here. The meeting can continue.